It's time once again for another episode of Georgia Business Radio. Broadcasting live from the Pro Business Channel studios in Atlanta. And now here's your host, Rich Casanova. We're live in the studio here, and uh, Artie, you want to take things underway here for the Georgia Business Radio Show? I do, indeed. Hello, and business is up on the Georgia Business Radio Show on Pro Business Channel. Today we have a guest, Matt Starosiak, and Matt is an attorney, a speaker, a consultant, and an author, and he's here to speak about a book he recently published, which is the Lawyer Marketing Book a very comprehensive resource, and it's application for all professional services, and it could, covers lead generation, intake protocol, and ROI measurement. Uh, Matt uh, graduated from Houston Law Center. We had a nice conversation about Houston. We did. I was a, a native there for over 10 years. Matt has tremendous knowledge of what makes law firms successful. Uh, his firm, and he is the owner of the Proven Law Marketing. Matt now works closely with a select number of law firms, all of which benefit from his law practice experience in small and large firm environments. He has had over a decade as a top legal industry outside sales rep. So welcome, Matt. Thank you very much. I appreciate it, Artie. It's great to be here. Well, good. Uh, Let's talk about your, your book a little bit. Um, you know, in having conversation with you before the show, uh, we were talking about who it was directed for. Uh, is it for large firms, small firms? Is it meant for uh, existing attorneys? Or, or how about students learning the business? Yeah, I think all of the above. I mean, I originally wrote the book as a tool for small law firms, small law firm attorneys. So let's just say the one to 10 uh, lawyer market. But what I found from feedback from others is that it's got great application for the law student and even for large law firms, attorneys, as they're being expected to do more and more in terms of client development from day one. So I think it's got application across um, any type of law practice and probably some transferable skills in for CPAs or medical or anybody who's really dealing with uh, you know professional service type businesses. Well, you know, you mentioned professional services and being a business developer myself, there's something unique about marketing for professional services other than regular other industries. What, what would you say makes it difficult, particularly for the legal industry? Yeah, I think it's hard for, I know for attorneys, one of the hardest things, and I talk about it in the book, is, is to understand that their clients don't think like them. So I can't tell you how many conversations I've had in the past with attorneys that just say, you know, I'm just not sure that that would resonate with me. And, and I think that's a stumbling block for a lot of people in professional services is you have to understand that your background, your education, your knowledge of what you do is much different than that prospective client or that current client. So I think mindset has a lot to do with it for sure. Yes, and I also find that those who are attracted to professional business services have a different DNA than more outgoing, overt business development. Yeah, I don't think there's any question about that. I don't think there's any. I mean, there are certainly marketing-minded people in professional services, whether it's a CPA or lawyer, but I think oftentimes they're a little more reserved, a little bit more uh, skeptical in ways, and just, um, you know, they don't have that outgoing personality that you might see on somebody who's on an infomercial, right? <laughs> well, I don't think you want your lawyer or your CPA to have that type of, of a personality, would you? 
I don't think so, but it does work <laughs> for some folks. I mean, well, I think Bart Artie's direct. This is a uh, you know business development versus a professional services process, and you you hit on a great point. Lawyers and and CPAs and other professional service people, even architects and engineers, they have a certain DNA, as Artie said, and they're not really wired to to go out and shake bushes. They're 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 designing the cages that go the bushes go in. It's true. <laughs> It's true. But, you know, it, the industry has changed quite a bit on how people find those professionals. And I think you're right. They have a little bit different DNA and how people have, have sought after those professional service providers is much different now than it was even five years ago, but certainly 10 or 20. Well, even now, as you said, the, the attorneys who used to only play golf uh, for business development now actually play tennis and other sports, right? Like car racing and, and other right. wild things. Right? So we have seen a lot of changes. Uh, now, you, you've gone in some very unique and detailed areas of, of, of business development and ideas about how to market a firm. And I'm sure with the uh, advent of the Internet, and the opportunity to, to look at things a little differently, you've probably opened a lot of eyes as well as a lot of ears. So talk about some of those very special things. I think you quote, uh, gosh, over 60 new ways to do this? Yeah, the book is, is kind of a compilation of short stories. So they're the best things I've seen lawyers do and the worst things I've seen lawyers do from a client development perspective. And so I put those together in kind of an easy read, very conversational tone to the book. And I really didn't want to write a book that was a reference. You know, I didn't want somebody to feel like they were reading a textbook. So I made it all about stories. Uh, they're short chapters. You can skip around in the book from different part to different part. And um, it's a fun read. I think people have been surprised a bit at, you know, how engaging the book is. Sounds like a short prescription for success, right? I would hope. <laughs> I would hope. Well, Artie, as a business developer, I'm sure you've already picked up a few pointers in here or at least quantified a couple of stories. What did you find most interesting uh, – as a professional sales guy that you've had to sell some attorneys too, I'm sure. I, I have indeed. And what's unique about the industry, particularly the law, is that it's difficult to be very overt marketing. You see more of it lately, but what are the challenges legally and professionally for marketing legal services? Yeah, well, certainly there, um, oh, I guess there's a couple of challenges. From a legal perspective, you know, there are bar association rules on ethics and things you can and can't say. Even things like calling yourself the best. Like lawyers are, are <laughs> technically not supposed to say I'm the best attorney. They're just, you know, that's against the rules. Um, there's very specific things like the use of the word specialization. Some bar associations will restrict your use of that, uh, you know, unless you have some sort of certification. So there's certainly legal requirements, but then the bigger issue perhaps is the comfort level of attorneys, especially ones who have been practicing a long time. They're just not comfortable putting themselves out there. And many feel like they shouldn't have to because I have so much experience, why would I have to convince somebody of what I can or can't do? Um, it's very frustrating for a lot of folks that have been in the business for a long time, and I understand it. Well, I'm thinking of professional services, and I'm thinking of the big eight accounting firms, which are now more like the big two. What <laughs> trends, right? What trends are there in law? Because you have global, national, regional, metro area, and more sole practitioner. So. Uh, how, how what's happening the trends in the industry is it consolidating yeah I think so I think it's a very very tough market for lawyers right now and I know you know the general public I think feels like lawyers are on easy street but I think it's an incredibly tough market in terms of client development you know a couple things a couple factors impacting it is you have big budget firms now in every practice area not just personal injury or workers comp you have big budget advertisers in family law and criminal defense and they're taking money and they're flooding the market with advertising. 
And so a small firm that's not used to doing that or isn't set up or structured to do that has a very difficult time competing with these firms. That may be the single most um, important factor. But then you have smaller things like even like a Google search results page and how that's changed over the last five years. I mean, you know, we could get into specifics, and the book certainly does, but Google isn't doing the small business person or small firm any favors these days, and I don't think that's a trend that's going to change. Do you have any, any advice that you can give smaller firms about online marketing? Yeah, I would say make sure you set the right expectation. So, you know, if you're in Atlanta or New York or Chicago and you have a small firm and you want to market on the Internet and you have a small budget, you have to know what to expect before you go into that investment. I think that's probably one of the biggest pieces of advice I would give to attorneys is understand what your expectations are before you go into any marketing investment. We know there's that saying about uh, it's only the fool who uh, (laughs) represents himself. Uh, as an attorney, so in going into that marketplace, you sound like you just gave a piece of advice, which I, I, I really it really struck with me is most often attorneys don't know what they don't know about marketing. Is that true? It's true, and they're not trained. So you know, there's an enormous gap. One of the reasons I wrote the book is there's an enormous gap between the practice of law and the business of law and what's taught in law schools. So you know, I'm not here to slam the law school curriculum, but in many cases lawyers come out and they don't have the marketing skills, especially if they were a political science or a history major before they went to law school. Now, they know a lot about cases and and analytical thinking and their reading and writing skills are are typically good. But on a day-to-day basis, you're dealing with clients, you're dealing with personnel, you're dealing with intake, you know, you're dealing with all these forces that you don't get a lot of exposure to in the average law school curriculum. Exactly correct. So uh, it it is trial by doing. Uh, from the perspective of uh, sample test, measure, experiment, uh, get some research, participate in your local bar association. I mean, let's talk about that. I know you had to do a lot of research for marketing this book, and, and I'm, I'm, I'm basically making an assumption, if I may, that you kind of looked at uh, the, the different regions of the country because, as you said, the different bar associations do things differently. How do you begin to impact change for these, these attorneys, these one- to five, ten-man man lady firms as they grow up? Yeah, I think it's difficult. I mean, lawyers in general are slow to change. In fact, one of my first chapters, I think it's the second chapter, talks about the weaknesses um, that law firms often encounter as business people. And one of them is they're slow to change, you know, and we all are to a certain extent, but they're slow to change and they're very skeptical. So, you know, you have to move out of that comfort zone in some respects. And I think any lawyer that's competing in today's legal market has to move outside their comfort zone. When looking at the challenges that that law firms have, because you have larger firms that handle business, criminal, real estate, immigration, so so forth, how does a a smaller firm deal with that? Do they specialize? What would you recommend? I think it's very difficult to be a general practitioner in today's law firm landscape. You know, you might get away with that in a really small town somewhere, but I think the general public these days recognizes the strength of somebody who specializes. And it doesn't mean you have to do one thing, right? But I don't know that you can advertise that we do everything. If you're a small firm, now if you've got a team of 10 or 15 lawyers, certainly you can you can split up the, the work and the different types of cases. But I think, you know, for a small lawyer, they'd be smart to, you know, a, a one lawyer, two lawyer firm, they'd be very smart to, uh, to specialize and promote that in their marketing. You know, we don't try to do everything. We do these two or three things really well. 
It's an interesting point you bring up there. You know, there's a, and you may have discovered this. What size of firm in a in a medium sized city? Let's draw that that circle to say two hundred fifty two hundred thousand persons in average size city. You're a five man law firm, and you are the founder or the lead name on the marquee. How do you begin to use your resources to implement your book and to, to market? And as you sh- let's use that example: five man law firm or five person law firm in a two hundred thousand person city. You're now commander in chief. Well, you first buy the lawyer marketing book for every staff member. <laughs> Boy, I tell you what, that is like a number one thing for success. Buy this book. <laughs> you sound like an author, you a successful there. author. Well, it's interesting because I, I sold to law firms in Fort Wayne, Indiana, which I think is about the size, uh, probably larger now, but at the time was about the size of what you described, 250 people, um, you know, population. But I, I think the number one thing that you want to do as an owner of a firm these days, especially a small firm, is hire people that can cultivate business. Right. It used to be that you could hire worker bees. If you had a six-attorney firm, two lawyers could bring in the business, and the other four could do the yeah. work. I don't think you have that luxury these days. I think you absolutely need to hire people that are not necessarily salespeople at heart, but they understand the importance of client development and feeding the funnel. So the number one thing I would do in a small firm if I were heading it is hire marketing-minded people. Um, there's still going to be plenty of work for people to do, and you're still going to need the, the folks that are technicians, but that would be the most important well, thing. Well, it goes back to profiling your, your team. You can't have three quarterbacks on the team, right? For sure. <laughs> yeah. that, that is a, a mindset. I was the COO of an engineering company, and it always amazed me when I would walk in the morning, the computers were on, and the, their faces were in the screens and they were working and at the end of the day they would shut them down and they're out of there and it never dawned on them where does the business come from (laughs) but the the interesting part of what you and I do as business developers is I held meetings with them and I got into the psych of who they are what they are and why can't they reach out to their college roommates or to association people that they meet at meetings and just talk about their business and to get into their mindset you're not selling you're actually helping yeah and it's true and and again I think the fear for a lot of times for I don't want to say younger lawyers but newer lawyers is that they they didn't go to law school to be a salesperson you know I didn't go to law school to be but what they don't understand is there's a big difference between a salesperson which I used to be I used to make cold calls I would park at the courthouse square and I would walk around to the law firms and unexpected and drop in that's a salesperson there's a big difference between that and somebody who understands right. when a new client's coming in I have to treat them a certain way the conversation has to go a certain way for us to to be retained by that client I mean there's a big spectrum there and if you're not training people on the latter part of that, you're really doing your firm a disservice. But I, I see it a lot, unfortunately. Well, well it, go, it goes back to managing your resources of your firm. And if you hire right and you grow your firm properly, you're going to add more specialization, quote, in the business development and the, even the onboarding. You're exactly correct. Most people don't realize how important it is. Uh, you know, I used to work in the HR arena, and I felt, felt like the most critical thing to do in your business 
not only you got to hire right, but when that person shows up, they've got to have a name tag, and they've got to have business cards, and they've got to have a desk to sit at, and they, they don't need to go looking for the number two pencils, right? Yeah, <laughs> and, I, and I go into a lot of stuff in the book, which I don't think has been covered in other books, and I've read quite a few of them. But everything, exactly what you're saying, Michael, everything from how do you set up your office, how do you greet people when they come in? I mean, people are paying attention to that, and the more sophisticated, more desirable the client is, they're paying a lot of attention to that. I've actually got a funny chapter in the book might be the raciest chapter, if Ooh. you will. <laughs> but um, it involves a firm that I visited here in Atlanta many years ago, and I was waiting in their lobby, and on their coffee table they had some, I wouldn't call them smut magazines or, or soft porn. <laughs> <but> they, <laughs> Select, selected readings. I'm, I'm sure there's some of those too. But, but you know they were very racy. So on one cover it had a woman who was naked, and she had the appropriately termed hand bra, you know, or, or hands <laughs> over top of her. And uh, – and I thought to myself, and I wrote about it in the book, I thought to myself, you know, what message does that convey to a prospective client who's hiring you for your good judgment, especially if that client happens to come in with their daughter who's 12 years old or 13? Mm-hmm. I mean, it's just – and I'm sure it's something that the lawyers never thought of. Somebody had a subscription, they brought some magazines in, they put it on the table. But, you know, those are the type of things you have to get right. You know, you have to get those right in order to be successful. Those are the little things. Um, so anyway, the book has a lot of stories like that, you know, where it's, um, I guess, things you wouldn't necessarily imagine in a business book. You know, go, going back to it being a, a marketing, a law firm, uh, business development is a term that's thrown out there. And for most people, they consider sales and marketing business development. But you touched upon something, and I'm sure it's in your book as well, and I'm looking forward to reading it. Thank you. And that is business development starts with insight. It starts with strategy, a value proposition. Then you develop your outreach plan, which goes down to your marketing and your sales. Yeah, 100% true. In fact, the, the work I do in my consulting business, most often my starting point is what I call a lawyer's online resume. It's, it's the foundation. If somebody were to Google your name, what do they see? If you don't have that right, you are in trouble. Because even the most highly referred client is going to do research on whoever it is today, a lawyer, a CPA, a doctor. And if you don't have your online resume in great shape, you're in trouble. So I think, Artie, you're exactly right. There's a certain foundation, and then you start to build above, you know, what's my marketing strategy? Where are my dollars going to make the phone ring? But it, it definitely starts with foundational stuff, and I do have it in the book. You're correct. <laughs> That's one of your, have a lot one of your favorite chapters, I'm sure. <laughs> I wrote a lot. I wrote a lot of that book. As we talk about the changes in the marketplace, and certainly you talked about the way the uh, local law associations control, talk about the impact of, of, of the, the resident professional attorney who is on a talk show or, or makes a public appearance or – or speaks to a non-legal group about a specific topic, or even in makes videos or does blogs or so forth. Talk about how the new world of getting your message out, making that personal resume even more glowing and more visible. I think it's important. I think a lot of lawyers don't do enough speaking and publication. They're just busy, right? Of course, it's kind of a luxury to be able to sit down and either write blogs or write a piece or do a CLE or something like that. Um, the biggest mistake I see in that area, frankly, is, is folks just don't promote it enough in any, in any uh, aspect. So you'll have somebody who does a CLE at the state bar office. They'll have their staff put together some slides. They'll go give the presentation. They'll say hello to a few of their colleagues they haven't seen in a while, and they go back to the office. 
when really what that person should be doing or their staff, mm-hmm. um, you know, in, in collaboration is promoting that speaking engagement before and after. And, and Michael, you're right. You want to put it out there on social media. You want to, you know, email colleagues, invite them to attend. You want to do a press release on the speech. You want to have a professional there taking pictures of it. Mm-hmm. You know, take a picture of you in front of a group and put that on your website. So when somebody goes to it, they see this person is an important person. They're speaking in front of a group of colleagues. And very little of that gets done in most law firms. Very, very little. I, I think they need to have an understanding of online marketing and online marketing the currency of the internet is visibility but the value of visibility is its relative to content right that's right people want to go to your website and read about what's affecting them and the more you can provide whether it's a speaking engagement on the topic or whether it's an article you've written you know the more of that they can find the more comfortable they're going to be with with you as their representative but like in any other business it has to give value otherwise they won't read it the next one true very true so uh, one thing I want to cover before our time comes out what are the emerging trends you have technology you have cryptocurrency you, you have medical bioengineering uh, what what's the breakthrough in, in areas where there's very little precedent law yeah, well, you're asking me to dig into my legal background a little, which I wasn't very good at. That's why I got <laughs> out of it. Um, but I, I do think there are emerging areas of the law that you could capitalize on. I mean, social media, for one, is a, is a massive area. Privacy, social media, especially in the school systems. So, you know, if I were going to start practicing law today, I would be looking at things impacting what can employees share on social media, what can a school do in terms of looking, let's just say, at a, at a kid's phone if they think there's something on it that, you know, is criminal behavior. I mean, things like that are going to be very, very hot topics over the next 10 years for sure. Yeah, that, that's just what I was asking is, uh, you know, law firms cashing in of the, on the trends that are coming ahead. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, even look at something like uh, like the data breaches that we have. I mean, that's going to impact a lot of people. For people a long who time. people who could go get a mortgage, no problem, because they had great credit, are now going to be fighting battles, mm-hmm. and they're going to need lawyers to fight those battles. You know, on a large scale, you know, against large companies, and on a very small scale, like how do I get financing for my home? So, so I guess my question is: Should law firms be proactive, understanding the trends, and gearing their marketing towards? promoting themselves that they can handle it yeah for sure for sure especially if you're in a super competitive space so if you're a dui attorney or (laughs) you know a personal injury attorney you ought to be looking at another avenue i would say well i know that you uh you've you've written this book there's a number of chapters you mentioned that they're easy to digest Uh, i'm gonna put you on the spot here just ask this question what was your favorite chapter of the book to write I would say the favorite one or couple are the ones dealing with sales reps because I think it's something that nobody <laughs> so ever So how do you throw about. them out of your office or what? Yeah, <laughs> I mean, I was a sales rep for a lot of years, so it's, it's a topic that's near and dear to my heart, obviously. But, you know, it's something that nobody gets training on. Certainly a law school is not going to train you on how to have a meeting with a sales rep. And you think about some of these sales reps. Sales reps, they've been doing this for 20 years. A lot of them are highly compensated. They're very good at what they do. And even if you're a lawyer and you're a great negotiator, how do you know whether that marketing product you buy for $6,000 a month is going to work or not? So one of my favorite areas of the book is how to identify uh, sales techniques and, and also encouraging lawyers to get exposure to that early on. I mean, if you're, if you're a law school student 
and you do an internship or you get a summer job at a law firm, ask that attorney who heads up the, the partnership and the management, can I sit in on the meeting with the sales rep? Because you're going to need to learn those skills. If you don't learn how to, how to decipher what that sales rep is saying, how are you going to make the decisions when it's time for you to do that? So that's certainly one of my favorite areas, and it's something that just it isn't covered. I mean, I'm sure somebody wrote a book at some point and covered it, but I think you'd be hard-pressed to find somebody talking about, you know, how do you deal with, with sales reps for legal products. So naming that chapter, How to Cross-Examine a Sales Rep. That's right. <laughs> yeah, or at least keep your footing at keep the very your, least. Keep your foot. it's, not, it's not like a, a Benjamin Franklin close. You want people to identify how that they can interpret what a sales rep is talking about. You know, it's interesting. You mentioned you were a sales guy walking around the law firms, walking around the, the city square, uh, and I'm not going to say selling law books. I can, I guess selling law books is probably not a sales opportunity coming up for, uh, for, for, for on-road sales guys. But the changing in technology and the look of the law firm, you know, you're talking about the marketing of law firm, but the physical changes of, of the law practice are just so phenomenal that the older lawyers, thank goodness some of them are retiring because their, their ethics and their, it may be great, but their abilities are lessening almost every year. Is that so? Yeah, I think it's very frustrating for lawyers that have been out 25, 30, 35, 40 years. It's, it's a frustrating environment for them, understandably, because they're not comfortable with the technology. I mean, I'm 44, and I'm not comfortable with the technology. So I, I certainly can understand, you know, what what they're feeling. But, yeah, I mean, it's moving at the speed of light, and I don't think it's going to slow down. So it's it's an issue. I mean, everything from the internal workings of the firm and what they have to do on their computer to – you know, how it plays into marketing and firm management. So you have, uh, bringing it back to uh, B to C, uh, did you have any, um, any recommendations for networking? Yeah, I would say have a really good plan before you go down that road and be willing to do it long term. You know, understand, understand what you expect to get out of a networking event or if you're going to network within an organization. Really understand you know, there's, there's a group called the Young Lawyers Group in most bar associations, and it's a great organization to get involved in, and they have fun events, and, you know, it's, it's great. But those are, if you're, if you're meeting people at Young Lawyers, those are relationships that are going to pay off 20 and 30 years down the road. If you're going to the Young Lawyers function looking for cases today that are going to be referred to you, there probably aren't that many. I mean, these are the less senior attorneys at the firm. You know, they're not huge rainmakers now. So just understand that if I go to a function like that, my goal is for this to pay off and bear fruit 10 years down the road when whoever I meet is a partner at the firm as I am. Um, I would say have a plan. If you're going to do networking, it's a great way to do it. You know, it's a great way to market. I would say it's critical to a certain extent. But just really understand what you're going to, what your goal is, prepare and follow up. And just like any other industry, being a business developer, when you go to these networking events and you do meet people and you get a card, I, I think they need to understand that they need to follow up. Don't expect the person who you met and had a conversation with just to reach out to you. And no question. No and, question. And that's where the training really needs to take place is for them just to make that call. Talk to them. Follow up. Ask to have coffee. Yeah, it's, it's follow up and follow through, right? Sure. It's the sum of the parts. When you talk about something like networking, it's the sum of the parts. And what I always say is, is the key to networking is to talk about something not business related. So if I meet somebody at a conference and they tell me their wife is a, is a triathlete, 
you know, and they're running a big race coming up, I'm going to shoot that person an email two months from now and say, hey, how'd your wife do in that triathlon that she ran? You know, you have to keep it personal. There'll be an opportunity to talk business for sure. I, I encapsulated that where it used to be ABC, always be closing. Yes. That is obsolete. You're very right. It's ABC, always be caring. Yes. And coffee is for closers as they say <laughs> and i think and i see rich and i see rich waving his hand so we're probably, we're probably the close of the show. before we do though please tell us how your audience can find you yeah i would say probably the best way to get me is um to go to my website i have two websites but the one for the book is the lawyer marketing book.com not surprisingly don't forget the the so it's the lawyer marketing book.com you can read about me. There's some uh, excerpts from the book that I've put online that'll give you a flavor of the format and the coverage. And obviously, you can purchase the book there too. It's on Amazon as well. If you want to go to Amazon and purchase the book, that'd be great. Um, I would only ask that you leave me a good review if you go that <laughs> route. <laughs> well, thank you very much, uh, Matt Star Osiak of Proven Law Marketing. His book is The Lawyer Marketing Book. And thank you to my co-host, Michael Moore. It's good to be with you this morning. And Rich Casanova. Producer Engineer, we'll see you next time. Thank you again for joining Rich Casanova and our guests on the Pro Business Channel. Use the social media links here to share today's show and stay tuned for the next episode of Georgia Business Radio.